and welcome to another episode of the Better by Tag Boom. In this episode, we'll be discussing the early history of Japanese women's wrestling from its inception up through the 1960s. First, I want to mention my main sources for this episode, first being the English language book Transform Bodies and Gender Experiences of Women Pro Wrestlers in Japan by Keiko Aiba, the next being Joshi Puresu Mizukushi by Kamei Yoshie, and the last and most important one, From the Stage to the Ring, The Early Years of Japanese Women's Professional Wrestling by Tomoko Seto. The academic essay by Tomoko Seto was so important because she had the primary source of talking to Sadako Igari, who is the first female wrestler in Japan. And without that primary resource, there is not a lot of information available, regardless of language, about Joshi wrestling from the 40s up through the late 1950s. And a major part of that is the perception of seeing young Japanese women entertaining predominantly American audiences. In the aftermath of World War II, Japan is now being occupied. The American military helps write Japan's constitution. America is shaping Japan in its own image to help fight the rise of communism in Asia that was happening through the mid-20th century. The Japanese empire itself was vehemently anti-communist, and it would strike down many communist, socialist, or anarchist uprisings throughout its empire in the Asian Pacific, and America needed an ally like that. Now, after World War II, going to war in the Korean Peninsula to further crush the rise of communism. Between the end of World War II up until 1953, nearly 200,000 American soldiers are going to be living in Japan, and due to the fiscal devastation that has occurred in Japan from the two atomic bombings, from the carpet bombings of Tokyo and other civilian cities. Many Japanese people have experienced death in the families. They are now impoverished and they need to find ways to keep supporting themselves. And one of the places that could provide a well-paying regular income were the American military bases throughout Japan. So you start to see entertainers, comedians, singers, musicians start to apply for licenses in order to work on American military bases to entertain the troops. A lot of these entertainers are women because of male family members dying during the war effort. You now have a lot of women who have to become primary income earners for their families. So a lot of women are now applying for these licenses and they start singing or playing instruments or doing comedy skits on these American bases. You also have the case off base of people trying to attract American soldiers to their establishments, whether that's a nightclub, strip clubs, comedy theaters. They're trying to bring Americans in because Americans are the only ones currently in Japan with regular steady income and a lot of it at their disposal. One effect of this is that due to the devastation and the increasingly impoverished conditions of many people is that a lot of women are now going into sex work and are trying to find American clients because the Americans have more money to offer than Japanese clientele. This creates an image in a lot of people's minds that if a Japanese woman is hanging around, especially a white American soldier, that she is selling her body in exchange for money. And this creates a lot of anger, especially for men who were once the beneficiaries of Japanese patriarchal traditions. Through this war, they were now forcibly told that they're no longer 
the elite citizen of Japan. They are now having to take orders from another place, that place being the American military that's now occupying their home country. So with all this anger of their empire collapsing, their country losing a war, just the sight of Japanese women interacting with American men, they're now feeling belittled and in some cases emasculated by the American men and they're putting that anger out towards Japanese women. An effect of this that will happen down the line is that biracial kids born to Japanese mothers and absentee American fathers are going to become victims of bullying and become ostracized by society because many people assume that their mother must have sold herself to an American and that now they have this bastard child. A lot of people that were formerly in power are now being stripped of their power. A lot of former politicians and members of the military are now being tried for crimes against humanity. Japan is now being told by their former enemy, now their occupier and soon-to-be ally, that their way of life is archaic and that the American way of life will improve the lives of the Japanese citizens, despite the fact that America itself killed thousands upon thousands of these Japanese citizens. And caught in the crosshairs of all these major changes in society, this rebuilding of Japan, what is Japan now after the empire, is Joshi Wrestling. In 1946, a trio of siblings, Pan, Chopin, and Lily, get a license to perform on U.S. military bases. In 1946, a trio of siblings get their license to perform on U.S. military bases after they've left their previous theater group. Pan, Chopin, and Lily create what's called the Pan Sports Show. The very basic premise of the Pan Sports Show was in a 30-minute time slot you would have Pan and Chopin telling jokes to the audience, and you would also have Lily come in and have a boxing match with one of her brothers while the second brother acts as referee. And often, in the last couple of minutes of this boxing match, they would take off their gloves and start wrestling each other. And the comedy in the act is that even though Pan was a man who was naturally stronger than Lily, Lily would still get the upper hand and would end up just stomping out her brother. Over the next couple of years, Pan, Chopin, and Lily continue the Pan Sports Show and start touring different American bases throughout Japan. In the late 1940s, the Pan Sports Show picks up their second female performer, Tayama Rose Kasumi. And before joining the Pan Sports Show, Tayama already had a license to be performing on military bases because she used to perform in a band with her late husband. And unlike the later men's wrestling, women's wrestling doesn't start off as a worked fight. It is perceived by audiences as something that is indeed fake. So by early 1950, the Pan Sports Show consists of Pan, Chopin, Lily, and Tayama. They're now touring military bases, performing the Pan Sports Show, having wrestling matches between Tayama and Lily, and Pan and Chopin refereeing the matches and telling jokes. But with only four people, there are still intergender matches being performed, and the intergender matches are going to be a major part of what makes people think that Joshi Wrestling is some kind of erotic sex show. And with the Pan Sports Show touring these clubs and bringing in clientele that enjoy wrestling, you now have club owners deciding that they're going to have their dancers and strippers also start to wrestle to bring in more clients. 
more clubs are going to start having posters made advertising erotic nude wrestling by the strippers. And this further makes the general population think that women's wrestling is some weird extension of stripping or exotic dancing. That it's another scheme for people to make money off of young women by entertaining American soldiers who have so much spending cash. Fast forward to October 12, 1950. During a performance at a strip club, police barge in and arrest Lily and Pan with the reason that a man and a woman in swimsuits pretending to fight was obscene and displays of obscene material was an arrestable offense. Lily and Pan, despite trying to convince police that nothing obscene was happening, that they were just performing in an entertainment show, had to spend the night in jail and were released the next day. But a positive through this incident is due to reporting of Lily and Pan's arrest, the next couple of live shows for the Pan Sports Show see an increased audience. But this arrest goes to show what the public thought women's wrestling was. Because of this negative image of Japanese women and American men, and due to the Pan Sports Show performing on military bases and clubs with predominantly American audiences because these were audiences that had the money, also adding that nightclubs are now also offering wrestling shows to patrons the mainstream media and the mass population continue to believe that women's wrestling is just a weird form of striptease. So due to the pan sports show having predominantly American audiences and performing at American military bases and clubs, add in also that club owners are now advertising erotic wrestling at their own establishments, mainstream media and the greater population at large begin to have this common hope belief that women's wrestling is some form of striptease or some other kind of erotic entertainment for men. In translation of articles from this time, the term striptease or stripping is used a lot when talking about women's wrestling. There was an article in Sunday Movie back in April 1950 interviewing Lily Penn and Chopin, and in the interview, all three of the siblings were talking about the reason why they started the Pan Sports Show was to earn money to support their parents because their dad had fallen ill during World War II and lost his construction business. They were doing this to earn money for their family, just like so many other people were after World War II. In spite of Lily in the interview talking about all the different sports she does, the article itself still finds a way to compare the women wrestling, the intergender wrestling, to stripping. It begins to get to the point that you have writers from mainstream newspapers go out to a women's wrestling show and they're either surprised at the lack of inherent eroticism in the wrestling and they're surprised to see the women be actual athletes or they're disappointed that there was a more sexual tension in the wrestling and that they were trying to wrestle a straight match starts to become a question forming in the early 50s by writers outside of the world of women's wrestling as to why are people going to see women wrestle? Why are people attracted to this idea of simulated violence performed by women? And some writers think that the male fans of women's wrestling have to be masochists, that they find some type of sexual pleasure in seeing women perform violence, and that despite 
Americans already knowing and understanding the concept of professional wrestling, that there has to be something more to make people want to see female athletes performing. We again fast forward to 1952, which is a major turning point for the Igari siblings and Joshi wrestling in Japan. In 1952, a man by the name of Fuji Shigetoshi introduces Pan and Chopin to an American friend of his, Elmer Hawkins. Elmer Hawkins is an African-American technical sergeant stationed at Tachikawa Air Base, and he has a background in amateur wrestling. And through his friendship with Fuji, Fuji suggests he meet with Pan and Chopin because they have a wrestling show. After their first meeting, Elmer Hawkins offers to train the now four women that are part of the Pan Sports Show. He and Fuji offer to pay for a full restoration of the gym at the Igari household. During the renovation of their home gym, Lily goes to Pan and Chopin and tells them that she and the other women in the Pan Sports Show no longer want to perform at military bases or nightclubs and they want to become more legitimate wrestlers. Pan and Chopin agree to this, and while the gym is under renovation, Lily starts training at Waseda University with their men's wrestling team under the guidance of their head coach, Ichiro Hata. After the gym renovations are complete in 1952, Lily Igari, Tayama, Hiroi Hojoji, Yumika Tori, and former female sumo wrestler Yasuko Tomoe are the inaugural roster of the All Japan Women's Wrestling Club. As quoted in Tomoko Seto's academic essay, Panigari said when creating the Women's Wrestling Club that, quote, we will make every effort to avoid making our women's wrestling a plaything for electorate's men, unlike women's sumo. The first step in those efforts was that the Women's Wrestling Club was not going to perform shows at military bases or any nightclub. The next step was that the wrestlers in the Women's Wrestling Club were getting training from legitimate athletes. The main trainers were Elmer Hawkins, a couple other American servicemen, Japanese practitioners of karate and judoka, including the legendary judoka Masahiko Kimura. So along with all of this effort to train the wrestlers to be legitimate athletes, Lily, Pan, and Chopin also still believe that there needed to be an entertainment element to their shows because they all believe that if you couldn't entertain the audience, the audience wouldn't come back, and if you can't retain your audience, then you won't have a successful wrestling promotion. So in 1952, the Pan Sports Show evolves into the first bona fide wrestling promotion in Japan, the All Japan Women's Wrestling Club. This precedes Riki Dozan finding the Sharp Brothers by two years, but Riki Dozan had the benefit that by 1954, Japan had national broadcast television and his matches were shown on closed circuit television and helped create the legend that was his entire wrestling career. In the post-war era, as I discussed, how many Japanese women were being demonized by society for their efforts in trying to support themselves and their families, on the opposite end of the spectrum, Riki Dozan was able to become a folk hero to Japanese society because he was seen as Japanese man standing up to the foreign invaders, to the evil Europeans, and standing up for Japanese people. Now, ironically, Riki Dozen was ethnically Korean and Korea was a former colony of Japan. But as many Koreans had to do during the imperial times and even now, he hid his true ethnicity 
passes Japanese and he submits himself as one of the legendary figures of the 50s in Japanese pop culture. Now, with the popularity of Riki Dozen and Masahiko Kimura versus the Sharp Brothers, later in that same year, in November of 1954, former NWA Women's World Champion Mildred Burke and her new World Women's Wrestling Association come to Japan for a week's time for a series of exhibition matches. Mildred Burke, Mae Young, Ruth Bocali, Gloria Barantini, Mildred Anderson, and Rita Martinez come to Tokyo to much fanfare. Because unlike the Japanese women, the American women coming in didn't have to deal with the negative bias of these assumptions that women's wrestling was some kind of sexual entertainment. They had the benefit of being Americans coming in, showing off not only their strength, but their beauty. The November 1954 3WA tour happened almost at the perfect moment, with Riki Dozen having the exhibition match with Kimura and the Sharp Brothers earlier that year. By the time Mildred Burke and her crew come in in November, there's such a high interest in professional wrestling, and with the exhibition of seeing women wrestle, there's now a large group of women who want to pursue the career of professional wrestling. A couple months earlier in March, there is a new promotion, All Japan Women's Professional Wrestling Association, and they create a small roster of women, one of which is Yuriko Amami, the wife of the eldest Masanaga brother. We again fast forward a year to January and March of 1955. All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Association have their second and third auditions in these months. In the second class, you have two women. Reiko Yoshiba and Yoko Yamaguchi. These two women are sisters, and they come from the Masanaga family. Their sister-in-law, Yuriko Amami, was in the inaugural roster for the All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Association. So now we have three members of the Masanaga family, a part of the world of wrestling, all of them in the same promotion. And with Reiko and Yoko joining the world of professional wrestling, they then bring along one of their brothers, Takashi Matsunaga is originally brought in to help train the women due to his background in judo. Later, he then becomes more involved in the operations of the office and the entire promotion itself. By the middle of 1955, there are eight different Joshi promotions and an estimated 200 female wrestlers, including those who are strippers as their main occupation. Despite the popularity of Riki Dozan, and Mildred Burke's 3WA tour in 1954, once Mildred and all the Americans left and it was just the domestic wrestlers, a lot of people still think that Japanese women wrestling is attached to the seedy underground world of strip clubs and nightclubs. If you're seen as someone who regularly goes to see women's wrestling, people are going to suspect you of being some type of pervert. In order to combat all of the false ideas of women's wrestling and all the negative press, a group of promoters comes together in September 1955 to create the Japan Women's Professional Wrestling Federation. And the main goal of this federation is to increase the popularity of women's wrestling. And a secondary goal of this is to prevent the creation of more women's wrestling promotions. Because by September 1955, there is at least one publicized account of a Yakuza-run club using their strippers to create 
a fake sports organization in order to evade taxes. And when the women would wrestle and the life gate would come in, the women were seeing none of the money. That's the opposite of in America where entertainment companies get taxed less than sports organizations. In Japan, during the 50s, sports organizations were taxed less than entertainment venues. So running a nightclub under the guise of a venue for professional wrestling would cost less money than being an upfront strip club or a nightclub. The Japan Women's Professional Wrestling Federation set up a two-day tournament on the days of September 10th and 11th in order to crown inaugural champions of different weight class belts. The flyweight champion was Risuko Yoshikawa, bantamweight was Yoko Tachibana, featherweight was Kiyo Obata, the younger sister of early Joshi wrestling star Chiyo Obata, lightweight was Tomoko Kubo, middleweight was Fujiko Azuma, light heavyweight was Yoshiko Yamamoto, lightweight tag champions were Sadako Igari and Kasumi Tayama, and the middleweight tag champions were Yoshimi Toyota and Noriko Oi. But despite the rising popularity of men's wrestling, women's promotions are not able to maintain enough popularity to keep their doors open, and even the Japan Women's Professional Wrestling Federation folds just two years later in 1957. An overarching theme through the 40s and 50s is that people don't perceive women's wrestling as a sport, but as a, quote, child of pro wrestling and strip teases. A newspaper called the Central Review had a reporter, Hidezo Kondo, go to a women's wrestling club show, and he said that women's wrestling was not long for the world and would never become popular because, quote, its lack of erotic taste far inferior to striptease, and that the wrestling was inferior to Riki Dozen and his wrestlers. Even though Panagari is quoted as saying that he and the women's wrestling club had the goal of not being a plaything for lecherous men. Even though another major promotion, Toyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, made it public that there were three rules that all their wrestlers had to abide by. No smoking, no drinking, no dating. Despite all these promotions having male leaders, a father figure, people still just assumed that there was something dangerous happening beneath the surface of women's wrestling. And this was something that men's wrestling never had to deal with in Japan. It's not dissimilar to how when Kobayashi Ichijo created the Paradise Theater, a lot of people were assuming that the female entertainment were going to be like the geisha from the spa across the river. And Ichizo in the early Paradise Hotel that became the Takazuka Review had to put in years and years of work to just convince people that these women were in a controlled environment, away from any threat to their purity. Women's wrestling was also trying to put in that effort over a span of a decade plus at this point, but people were still not convinced because even though the Women's Wrestling Club, Toyo Joshi Pro Wrestling, had stopped performing at clubs, there were still many other promotions, like the All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Association, that didn't have the luxury of money to rent out these gyms and other more appropriate event spaces. They still had to go out to these nightclubs because it was cheaper. Despite the fact that at this point, the few wrestling magazines that are out there were occasionally reporting on women's wrestling in a very earnest and positive light. 
mainstream media, the average citizen still had this lingering image from World War II of women selling themselves to American men, the occupier, the enemy is taking over our women and the enemy is taking over our country and our land and it's out controlling us. All of this anger and feelings from the war itself manifesting itself in the minds of the people and them putting that anger out towards young women. Just the idea of women performing physical labor or performing for predominantly American audiences put such a sour taste in the population's mouth. After the shuttering of the Japan Women's Wrestling Federation, Toichi Manen, Takashi Masanaka, and Morie Nakamura create the Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Association on April 19, 1967, with former members of the All Japan Women's Professional Wrestling Association and many of the now freelance wrestlers whose home promotions had shuttered due to lack of money. And 10 days later, they hold their first event, the Japan Championship Series. The promotion wouldn't get any real popularity until March of 1968 when they strike a working relationship with the NWA and Fabulous Moolah and other Americans agree to come to Japan for a tour. The tour is called the World Championship Series and featured multiple NWA and Women's World Championship title defenses with Fabulous Moolah against Yukiko Tomoe. Yukiko Tomoe debuted in 1955. On March 2nd, Yukiko and Fabulous Mula go to a time limit draw 60 minutes at Taito War Gymnasium. Later, he, at Higashi Osaki City Gymnasium, Yukiko would defeat Fabulous Mula on the third fall in just under five minutes to become the first Japanese woman to hold an NWA championship. A little similar to how Rikido's and Finding Foreigners helped propel his status in pop culture, Yukiko not only being able to stand eye to eye with an American wrestler, but defeating an American in a match helped increase the popularity of not only her, but the Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Association. Yukiko was only able to have two title defenses before she dropped it back to Fabulous Mula on April 2nd at Hamamatsu City Gymnasium. Even though things are looking up for the promotion with one of their domestic wrestlers becoming an NWA world champion, there have been months of infighting between Toichi, Takashi, and Morie. Takashi Masanaga, Toichi Manen, and all the wrestlers loyal to them leaving to create a new promotion, All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling, leaving Morie Nakamura as the president of the old Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Association. But while the exodus was devastating, Nakamura's promotion still had a working relationship with the NWA and Fabulous Moolah. On November 6, 1968, Chiyo Bata formally challenges Fabulous Moolah for the International Women's Wrestling Association Championship. At this event, there are cameras from Tokyo Channel 12, which is now known as TV Tokyo, filming the match for a broadcast special called Women's Wrestling World Championship Fabulous Mula vs. Chiyo Bata. This match broadcast on Tokyo Channel 12 on November 21, 1968 in the prime time slot of 7.30 and gets at that time a record rating of 22.4%. Due to this women's wrestling match gaining a record rating for the channel, Tokyo Channel 12 and the main sponsor for the show, Santen Pharmaceutical, go back to Japan Women's Pro Wrestling Association 
and told them that they want to create a regular broadcast TV show featuring their wrestlers. This new show is called Women's Wrestling Broadcast World Championship Series and begins airing on December 5th, 1968 in the prime time slot of 7.30. December 5th, 1968 marks the first time that women's wrestling gets a regular broadcast deal in Japan. And not only are they getting regular TV time, they're getting this in prime time and they're bringing in good ratings. They're getting between 10 to 50% ratings in the major regions of Kansai and Kanto, all with Chiyo Abata as the ace of the promotion. So even though in April most of the wrestlers had left, Nakamura and Obata were now having a successful promotion that now had regular exposure to new audiences and is pulling in enough ratings that the channel and their primary sponsor are happy. The Women's Wrestling Broadcast World Championship Series is so successful that, that Tokyo Channel 12 also reached out to the new AJW and they gave them two trial broadcasts on May 8th and May 29th of 1969, but the ratings are so low that Tokyo Channel 12 don't pursue a TV deal with AJW. Another reason for Tokyo Channel 12 not pursuing a TV deal probably has to do with somewhere someone started rumors that AJW was connected with the Yakuza, that AJW also couldn't rent out a lot of venues because another important fact, an interesting note to make about AJW is that even though they're technically the second family-run promotion in Japan, their familial connections are much larger than that of the three siblings, Pan, Chopin, and Lily, who operated the Women's Wrestling Club. AJW involved Takashi Matsunaga, three of his brothers, his two sisters, Reiko and Yoko, sister-in-law, Yuriko Imami, cousins, Jumbo Miyamoto and Kyoko Okada, a niece in Aiko Kyo, and then Toko Kaseya, a wrestler who would debut for AJW in the 60s and would become the second wrestler to take on the Mariko Akagi name, was another distant relative to the Masanaga family. With the Yakuza rumors spreading so much that AJW is unable to rent out regular venues, the saving grace in AJW becoming the major promotion that it does, it starts with their early relationship with the publication Daily Sports. Then, editorial director of Daily Sports, Shinji Ueda, was at the first AJW event and was an early supporter of the new promotion. And with his support, it helped bring legitimacy to the sport of Joshi wrestling through the late 1960s into the early 1970s. And Shinji Ueda eventually becomes the inaugural 3WA commissioner once AJW gets the rights to that title in the early 1970s. So between the end of World War II up until 1967, Japanese women's wrestling is having to fight a constant battle with the perception of the public on what women's wrestling is for and who it's for. The venues that women's wrestling is occurring in helps create an image that this is just another part of the underground world of sex work and the entertainment of Americans in Japan. It has to carry this unearned reputation for over a decade. And despite men's wrestling becoming an escape for many Japanese people, women's wrestling is looked down upon and almost spat at by these same people 
because these women are not being respected as athletes. They're seen as just women using their bodies. Despite Mildred Burke and the 3WA Tour inspiring dozens upon dozens of women to become female athletes, not as a way to provide for the family, but as a way to provide for themselves and become independent women, many post-war campaigns, companies and organizations using the opinions of housewives as a way to denote what is healthy or unhealthy entertainment. Joshi Wrestling gets caught up in these conversations. Even though Women's Wrestling Club and Toyo Joshi Pro Wrestling publicly listing rules on all the ways they're going to make sure that the women aren't making dangerous decisions, that the public and mainstream media can't divorce women's wrestling from its origins as comedic entertainment being performed at military bases, at strip clubs and nightclubs, and they refuse to try and understand why women in the first place were having to seek money and job opportunities in these venues of sex work or at American military bases. The early history of Joshi wrestling is that of sexism and that of patriarchal society's views on young women and their bodies and how they interact with men. As many of these Joshi wrestlers were young unmarried women, not unlike the women who are part of Takarusa Grey View, both of these separate worlds had to make efforts to prove to society at large that that the value of these women's bodies were not being put at risk through these unusual occupations. And while Takarusa Grey View did that through implementing multiple rules and restrictions on who can join, who's allowed into their buildings, who's allowed to interact with their performers, Joshi Wrestling and many promotions also tried to do the same, but they were unable to convince the people like women's reviews were. 